something to say. Hello everyone, how are you doing today? And welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, especially if you're reading my new book, Crucify My Love, or my other kinda sorta almost new book, The Chain, Ones of a <laughs> which is out on uh, Wattpad right now. I'm working on that. Having a lot of fun. How y'all doing today? It's been a weird day. It's been a very weird day. So let's talk about an old Deep Space Nine episode. So I've been doing a rewatch of Star Trek Deep Space Nine because I watch a little bit of Star Trek every day because it makes me happy. And just recently watched the episode Dax, where Dax is put on trial over something that happened when she was Curzon. And I kind of wanted to talk about this episode and the missed opportunities that the series has had with the Trill and why I think Star Trek needs to bring the Trill back in a very meaningful way. But before we go there, if you haven't already, and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate this episode or this podcast, please do so. That helps out immensely. It tells the algorithms to share the podcast with more people, and the more people that listen, the more chance there is for, you know, us to interact. And interactions are really what this whole thing's about, isn't it? Connection, community, all that. At least it is for me. So please, if you haven't already, please rate the podcast, leave a review. It really does help out a lot. Okay, so there's a lot of things I could say about Deep Space Nine and how it dealt with uh, the Trill. And that starts all the way back from the beginning of the series where they completely redesigned the appearance of the Trill because Berman felt that Terry Farrell was far too beautiful to have a fake forehead plastered on herself. And so they completely redesigned the species because he thought she was just too pretty to play what they originally looked like when they debuted on the next generation. And okay, we're not going to go there today. Might at some point, but okay. But that starts to tell you some of the problems that they had over the course of the series. And this episode was one that could have tackled a lot of very interesting issues and didn't. So the basic premise, and if you want me to say spoilers for an episode that took place in season one of Deep Space Nine ages ago, spoilers are incoming, but I feel that by now, if, you know, most people that were going to watch it probably have. So the basic plot of the episode is a group tried to kidnap Dax because they're wanting to extradite her because... They believe that Curzon murdered and betrayed one of their great generals during their civil war. And pretty much the rest of the show operates like a courtroom drama slash police procedural. 
And that, to me, is where they lost the thread. And this episode, more than any other, I think leads to some of the other problems that we have with the treatment of the Trill later on. Now, I was a kid when this episode came out. Well, I was kind of on the cusp of adulthood when this episode came out. And I am fully aware that a lot of the concepts and whatnot that I'm going to be talking about in this episode were not prevalently discussed in the mainstream back then. But when you create a species that is joined, meaning there is one being that lives for an extremely long time, we have no idea how long a trill symbiont lives, that hops from body to body to body and collects multiple lifetimes of experience. That begs a lot of questions. And really, the Trill could have been a very interesting place to discuss gender, sexuality, and a whole host of other topics that really don't come into play at all, except for in one episode about an ex-girlfriend, and yeah, we'll talk about that eventually. So, the fact that they didn't bring up any of these issues in this episode kind of distracts from the actual drama that's going on. We know that Dax refuses to say what happened. And Odo is dispatched to find out the truth. Now, where this really all falls apart, especially looking back at it from a modern lens, is, and it's something that's actually brought up in the trial, before Dax was Jadzia Dax, the version that we know on the show, Dax was in a host named Curzon. Curzon was a male. He lived for, I believe, 50 years with the symbiote. So for 50 years, Curzon was a male. And this is something that is kind of played about around with jokingly on the show, where Dax is often referred to as old man by Cisco because that was their relationship. Curzon was Cisco's mentor. And so he knew her, he, he knew him as an old man who brought this raw cadet out of his shell and taught him how to operate in the world. And it's that fierce devotion to his mentor that this episode really revolves around. And that, to me, is where everything falls flat, because, again, spoiler alert, when I jump to the end, what we end up discovering is that Curzon was having an affair with the dead man's wife, and could not have been the person who sent the communique in question that they believe Curzon sent, causing the death of the general, because that night he was sleeping with the general's wife. And of course, secondary to this, we also find out that the general was a traitor and was in the process of trying to um, betray his own side in the war and got killed 
because of it. And that was covered up. He was turned into a hero, which galvanized their side and helped them win the war. Now, there are a lot of moving parts in this story, and a lot of things that really are left unsaid. We only get to see one scene of Dax with their former lover, and it's more of just a, I felt that I had to keep the promise, Kirzan's promise, even though nothing obligates me to do it. Like a lot of Star Trek episodes from the 90s, this is an episode about honor and duty and loyalty and all of those things. The trial tries to bring up questions of, well, the Curzon, when Curzon did these things, or was alleged to have done these things, he was a man, he is now obviously dead, and Dax is within a female now. And they bring up ideas of the joining and how it works to have these two minds working in concert with each other and how their personalities blend. The very fact, and again, trust me, I know I I was in the queerest of queer circles back when this episode originally came out, and we were only just starting to use terms like genderqueer, and even then they were rare. You didn't hear them very often. The idea of a person being non-binary was not a thing in the mindset of a lot of people. We didn't have that language, not to say that non-binary people didn't exist. People like me have always existed. But the very fact that the show even didn't have the foresight to play with this idea that even though it didn't have the terminology to is one of the strangest things about Deep Space Nine to me. And I've often wondered if there's a version of the script somewhere where some of these questions were brought up. And of course, you know, she's so pretty. We we can't have people thinking of her as mannish. But the way Jadzia was portrayed on the show was fairly non-binary. She did have long hair, which she often wore in a very tight ponytail. We can say that that's feminine. Okay. She did wear makeup to a point, but not ostentatiously. But her mannerisms, the way that she was written, was quite gender neutral. She didn't do anything, especially for the time, that really signaled that she was a binary female. This is one of the things that I think always attracted me to the character, and one of the reasons why I have obsessed over Dax over the years. Now, this changes when we go from um, Jadzia to Ezri, and that's a topic for another day as well. But I, I think that was more that they were in their last season and they just were getting on with it and they let the actress do more or less what she wanted with the role because they were upset with how everything went down with Terry Farrell. Now imagine a completely alternative Star Trek Deuce Space Nine, where we actually deal with the ramifications of having a joined species on the cast. Now, occasionally they did take advantage of having Dax seem wise beyond her years, but even this 
wasn't something that they played into all that often. Later seasons, we will have her refer more to her previous hosts. We get to meet some of her previous hosts through a ritual thingy. Um, And they do play around with the idea, some in later seasons. But the very notion of a character who, as the judge in the episode says, I'm struggling with the question as to whether or not you are 200 years older than I am, the judge herself being over 100, or the same age as my great-granddaughter. And the horrifying realization I'm coming to is that you may be both. That is such a powerful line that is that is wonderfully delivered in the episode. But it doesn't have any weight because it's never really played with. It's never really given the effect that it needs to have. They treat Dax more or less like she's a 20-some-year-old girl who's coming into her own after a very uptight upbringing. And that's interesting, and that has some fun story ideas that you can pull out of it. But at the same time, she has multiple hundreds of years of life experience that really should have shaped much more of her character and much more of her identity. Now, I'm not saying that they had to play her as this like sagacious, older person who just happened to have a young body. I'm not saying that at all. But it's it's very much a missed opportunity that she's not always telling old war stories or connecting events that are going on with things that had happened in previous lives. That's a very simple thing that they could have done that would have allowed her to have insight into the events around her more often that would have been a direct ramification of her sharing her body with this centuries-old being that she has some kind of connection with that, again, I don't feel the series took the time and care to play off. The second thing that and this is the gender thing that they really should have spent much more time with, even if it wasn't a popular topic of conversation, the very notion that the trill would have, especially the joined trill would have a binary sense of gender. Doesn't make that much sense since the symbiote is being passed back and forth between males and females, biological males and females of the species, it would be racking up experiences as both a biological male and a biological female. And even though it had been placed, and I say it because we never truly get any hint that the symbiotes themselves have gender in and of themselves. But that, that very, by, by its very nature, a trill should at least have the combined experiences of a transgender person, even if they're not having the experiences of a non-binary person, simply because they would know what it felt like to be a binary female. Let's just accept the world as we got it, right? She would know what it felt like to be a binary female, 
a binary male. And when you actually meet several of the previous lives, non-binary males and females as well. But again, I can't completely fault a show for not using language that it didn't have at the time. But that lack of language should have been made up for by a prevalence of imagination. Just taking the previous lives, Curzon is a womanizer. Curzon had many relationships with many women, we find out, including the wife of somebody that he was very close to. That's kind of the point of this episode. We learn later that Curzon had deep relationships with the Klingons and would go out fighting with them and, you know, earned their respect and even made a blood oath with them. Very good episode. We'll probably talk about that one when we get there as well. But that's not Jedzia's life experience. Up to this point, she had been rigorously training herself, not just to become a combined trill, but to earn all of the degrees that she had by the time she was combined. Those two personalities should have clashed more. Those two personalities should have made for more of a difference, even if it was in subtle mannerisms. We see this when we actually get Esri much later in the series, where Esri has cravings for foods that Jadzia loved, or that Curzon loved, or that other previous hosts had, that she herself doesn't like. And so you can see them by that late point in the series starting to play around with these ideas and it's such a missed opportunity that they didn't do it earlier that they didn't take the time to really think out the ramifications of this centuries old being that had had the experience of being both male and female that had the experiences of pilots and musicians and you know mothers fathers all those different things, what that would have done to Jedzia. And it's it's a very much a missed opportunity. And I keep hoping that we will see a trill in Star Trek going forward. That we don't always have to include new races. We continuously come back to the Vulcans, and I understand that. The Vulcans are awesome, but two of the most interesting races that were created for Star Trek, we don't spend that much time with. It's the Vulcans, the Klingons, the Romulans. Yeah, we know about them. But what about the Denobulans? They were a very interesting species, as are the Trill. And there's so many things that we could talk about now with conversations about interconnectedness and how everything is in this kind of web of being and just the sheer sloppiness of gender, gender identity, and gender expression. And don't think that I'm saying this just because I want a show to really delve into these issues, because remember my rule, if your LGBT representation is exclusively among alien species, it doesn't count, because that's still othering. So that, that's not necessarily why I think this would be a good idea. It would be a fascinating thing to play with because the palette is already laid out for you. Jidzia 
being this uptight, rigidly doctrinaire girl, suddenly having a part of her that was recently a hard-drinking, kind of loose-with-the-ladies woman's man who felt right at home with being around Klingons, that should have played a much bigger role in her character and characterization, and it's a shame. It's such a shame that we didn't get to go there. But one can dream, right? It's one of the reasons why I kind of want to do a shared species in the sci-fi thing that I'm playing around with, but I haven't figured out how I want it to work. If you have any ideas, please do let me know. I would love to get some help with that. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you haven't already, please like this podcast wherever you're listening. That does help out a lot. If you got a dollar, you can pass my way. Down in the show notes, you'll see a link to both my Patreon and the community support page. If you click that link, you can join the project at the one, five or $10 levels. That money helps me out a lot. It helps me do everything that I do, especially now that my books are coming off of Kindle Unlimited. Um, I rely on the kind care and support of you all much more <laughs> than I did before. And, you know, the ads are not always uh, abundant and fruitful. If you don't have the money or you don't feel like giving right now, don't worry about it. Don't feel any pressure. That's fine. I truly understand that. But if you know anybody you think would like this podcast, please do share it with them. Don't forget that you can leave me a voice message by clicking the link in the show notes. That'll work on any device at any time. Keep it clean so I can use it on the show. I would love to hear from you. If you'd like to hit me up on Twitter or Instagram, I'm C.E. Dorset on both. You can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. So until, ne- ne- until next time, don't forget, have the fun. <laughs>